1: Hi, I'm Jamie Buss, and I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss the differences between winter blues and seasonal affective disorder with naturopath Dr. Colleen Hartwick. We'll learn about fad diets with nutritionist and author Sally K. Norton. We'll discover the connection between love and wellness with holistic nutritionist Katrina Foe. And lastly, we'll find out how to balance mind, body, and spirit with holistic health expert Hattusa Madavi. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot. The Fountain of Youth has eluded explorers for ages. It turns out the magic anti-aging elixir might have been inside us all along. Researchers have discovered that T-cells can be programmed to fight aging. Given the right set of genetic modifications, these white blood cells can attack another group of cells known as senescent cells, thought to be responsible for many of the diseases we grapple with later in life. As we age, senescent cells build up in our bodies, resulting in harmful inflammation. While several drugs currently exist that can eliminate these cells, many must be taken repeatedly over time. As an alternative, researchers are looking to a living drug called CAR, chimeric antigen receptor T-cells, which could be manipulated to eliminate senescent cells in mice. As a result, mice ended up living healthier lives— They had lower body weight, improved metabolism, and glucose tolerance, and increased physical activity. All benefits came without any tissue damage or toxicity. Question. What's the best way to make sure you're getting the most up-to-date and accurate health and wellness information? Answer. The Tonic newsletter, of course. Visit www.thetonic.ca and sign up today. I'll be joined by Dr. Colleen Hartwick in a moment. But first, a little bit of business. Attention men over 50. Do you search for restrooms everywhere you go? Wake up several times at night just to go pee again? Are symptoms of a benign and large prostate taking over? Prostate Perform helps reduce the urgency and frequency of pesky pit stops in as little as 7 to 10 days. Available exclusively through natural health food stores. To ensure these products are right for you, always follow label directions. Dr. Colleen Hartwick is a licensed naturopathic physician who's been in private practice since 2012 in Campbell River, B.C. Uh, Dr. Hartwick has a special interest in trauma as it pertains to physical illness, and as such, her practice focuses on mental health. In addition, Dr. Hartwick is passionate about sharing her knowledge and has been a part-time instructor at the Canadian School for Nutrition since 2015 and recently began publishing educational articles with Naturopathic Currents. Welcome back to the show, Colleen. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing really well, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm always excited to be here.
1: Always great to have you here, but there's a specific reason we have you on today. Colleen, I'm I'm out of sorts and I and I don't oh, know, yeah. I don't know whether it's just me or if there's something else going on or if it's a bigger picture issue. So maybe you can help us sort that out. Sound like a plan. I'll do
2: my best, yeah.
1: Okay. I know it's a tall order. So, so I think a lot of people are aware of something called seasonal affective disorder. How is that different? From, you know, just sort of being out of sorts, like I feel.
2: Right. So imagine maybe the out of sorts for you, maybe feeling a little bit more tired, a little bit less motivated, You know, maybe sleeping a little bit more, which is not uncommon. You know, this time of year with the darker days, especially here on the coast, it's just been gray and raining sideways for the last
3: couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, I heard.
2: Um, So it's not uncommon for people to feel just a little bit less energetic. That would kind of be in keeping with what we might call the winter blues. Seasonal affective disorder is a lot more severe in the ways in which it impacts functioning. So it tends to last for longer durations, somewhere, you know, four to six months, and usually starts to show up as the days get shorter. So uh, showing up seasonally kind of beginning in the fall. um, And seasonal affective disorder um, can, especially when you compare it to the winter blues, really impact someone's ability to... Uh, function in the world.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we should be coming out of it, right? The days are getting longer. They're kind of noticeable. I don't know. I'm up early and it's still dark. I don't know about you, but... is
2: uh... Again, I live here on the coast, so it's quite gray between essentially September to sometimes June, which we refuse, refer to here on the island as January. <laughs> it means that June is punctuated by a lot of rain. So it's the days are getting brighter, but that's also offset by the fact that it's. it's there's quite a low ceiling of, of clouds and that, okay. that kind of blanket us through right. um, through the winter months. But yeah, getting a little bit brighter. I notice I'm feeling a little bit more energetic kind of coinciding with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, over here in, in the T-Dot, like we're having a pretty cloudy uh, winter. Like we don't, we're not getting that really crisp cold with bright, sunny days. There's been a lot of overcast as well. I think the El Nino effect is impacting our winter differently than you, but but a lot of gray, gray, gray skies. Other than gray skies, what are are some of the contributing factors to the onset of seasonal affective disorder? Yeah. So
2: seasonal affective disorder, there's a lot of different underlying factors. Main ones that we see yeah, that contribute to some of the symptomology so just to kind of go over how the symptoms can differ from the winter blues we'll see more depression there might be some lack of interest in the activities that you know normally we would find interesting and exciting might progress to something uh, more severe like feeling hopeless feeling hopeless changes to appetite what we would call in medicine hypersomnia so like sleeping a lot social withdrawal, so seasonal affective disorder compared to winter blues, again, a lot more uh, significant in terms of how it impacts people. And going back to your question about underlying reasons, so we see some common patterns, but with seasonal affective disorder, so with the reductions in sunlight, I'm sure lots of your listeners know about how sunlight does things like impact our 24-hour clock or our circadian rhythm. And so with reductions in sunlight, what we tend to see is a couple of different things. Increases in the sleep hormone, melatonin, which makes us feel groggier, more tired, more inclined to, you know, stay in bed a little bit longer. And with that reductions in a neurotransmitter called serotonin. And again, for your audience, some of them might know this already. Melatonin is actually made from serotonin. So what's likely going on there, at least in part, is again, the, the darker days, essentially promoting the conversion of serotonin into more melatonin. So we feel sleepier, groggier, and serotonin. I like to think of it as kind of the contentment chemical or the connection chemical. So when serotonin levels dip off, we can feel maybe a bit more anxious, more irritable, or more sort of sullen and depressive. Other factors that play a role in the development of SAD. So again, lower serotonin levels, higher melatonin levels. We can see alterations in our stress hormone cortisol. So that tends to be blunted this time of year. and. Well, cortisol can sometimes get a bad rap. It's there, especially in the morning to of, like rev up our engine, wake us up, make us kind of motivated to to get about our day. Uh, and of course, the last one is vitamin D. We know that sunlight is so important for kickstarting the production of our own vitamin D. So this time of year, especially in the T dot, and I haven't heard T dot in quite a while. I know, I'm aging <laughs> so that myself. My, That's cool. My days living in Ontario. Um, that vitamin D plays a really big role in serotonin signaling. So kind of another mechanism that could explain the lower levels of serotonin we observe in, in people with SAD.
1: What can we do about it from a lifestyle perspective?
2: So lots of good options, again, based on where you live and what your preferences are. So number one, and this is what I recommend, especially to patients here on the coast, where we've got the luxury of having mountains and oftentimes lots of different microclimates between all of the different valleys is do your best when the sun is out to try and get some natural sun exposure. Again, here on the coast, I recommended the patients to, you know, go up the ski hill if the ceiling is low, or maybe drive a little south or a little north where you might be able to find the sun. If that's not feasible with, you know, where you live and what the climate's doing presently, to get a full spectrum light bulb or a satellite, That full-spectrum bulb helps to mimic the array of different uh, wavelengths of light that we would get from the sun. So it can, uh, through that, help to bump up our vitamin D levels, help to boost our serotonin levels. Exercise is really helpful as well, making sure that you do maintain that social connection. Um... Because uh, social isolation, what we can see is in dipping off of uh, two key neurotransmitters again serotonin, as well as dopamine, which is more of our motivation or our seeking chemical. So making sure that you stay in touch with your friends and family and, and get out of the house as much as as much as much possible. So again, sunlight, exercise. Um, if you don't have access to sunlight, the full spectrum light bulbs or satellites can be a really good option.
1: Yeah, my friend swears by his happy light. So, so let's talk about that for a bit. Yeah, sure thing. What do you want to know? So, so light therapy. Uh, how does it work, and 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 like what are the benefits?
2: Yeah. So again, you want to choose. I should probably say a happy light. That's a much more optimistic light. <laughs> um, so what they use are full spectrum light bulbs. So that include all of the different wavelengths that get naturally produced by the sun and so what that does is sort of communicates to our brain and more specifically to areas of the brain like the pineal gland that hey it's the sun is out let's start revving up your system so bumping up cortisol especially we turn that light on you know in the morning to help with that wakefulness cycle Hey, let's start producing more vitamin d let's ramp up through um, those mechanisms your serotonin so you feel more contented more sense of peace more motivated um, and ready to kind of get about your day. So it's essentially uh, hacking using technology to mimic the the type of brightness that we would get in the summer, in the in the brighter months, uh, and being able to apply that in the in the grayer months.
1: Okay. What about supplements?
2: So supplements, there's lots of different options to choose from. Um, the go-to would be, again, with the association in the gray months with lower vitamin D, making sure that you have your vitamin D levels tested and supplement, you know, as appropriate. Again, because vitamin D is really important for that serotonin signaling. Beyond that, we see those omega-3s, which you know, they're kind of everywhere in medicine at this point because they're so in, impactful. So the omega-3s specifically EPA seems to also play a role in increasing serotonin signaling and ultimately helping us feel more happy, more content. We could look at, again, you know, with the aid of your trained practitioner, the molecules that are involved in, in building our own serotonin. So these could include tryptophan, which is like the start chemical that ultimately can become uh, serotonin. One step closer would be 5-HTP, maybe a B-complex focused on some vitamin B6. That's a necessary ingredient in helping us to turn tryptophan into into serotonin. So those are a few places to start. Again, vitamin D based on your needs, the omega-3s, and maybe some building blocks for serotonin, which could look like, again, tryptophan, 5-HTP, maybe a little bit of B6 in there as well.
1: Okay, so let's circle back to omega-3s and EPA. How does EPA contribute to mental health? Like like how how does that work?
2: Yeah, so kind of to give you the broad brushstrokes, strokes case we could get yep. really technical with pathways. Yeah, let's not
1: get too granular, but but <laughs> yeah. a, a, an overview an overview would be helpful, I think.
2: All right, perfect. I'll do that. All right, so EPA as compared to one of the other omega threes, DHA, DHA think of more as a structural fat to so help to do things like build healthy eyes, build a healthy brain. EPA is a bit more of what I like to think of as a functional fat. It really helps to reduce inflammation. And so what we can see when inflammation is high is a blunting of some key neurotransmitters of serotonin and dopamine. So as inflammation elevates, we'll see lower levels, typically of serotonin uh, and dopamine. And that could show up as, you know, for some people, more anxiety, for others feeling a little bit more depressed. So that EPA it helps to reduce inflammation, means we can maximize on our production of, again, serotonin and dopamine, again, feel motivated, happy, content, and and just better balanced on the mood front.
1: Okay. So, you know, we've looked at one end of the spectrum, you know, feeling a little bit blue versus seasonal affective disorder. How can we make sure that we're not confusing seasonal affective disorder with something more serious?
2: Yeah. And therein lies having a qualified practitioner to do the right investigative work um, so that, and we've got the right diagnosis. And also, once we have a diagnosis, whether it's more winter blues or sad, that further testing is done to really help elucidate, like, what's going on under the surface that's showing up as that symptomology? And again, that's going to look like a fair amount of blood work or a reasonable amount of blood work to see, again, what are the relevant factors that are impacting mood for you, as well as an exploration of again, what's going on in your lifestyle. How are you sleeping? Um, are you staying up late? Are you exercising? What's going on on the social front, but versus seeing a qualified medical practitioner to help you sort out, again, is this winter blues or is it something more significant falling under the umbrella of dad?
1: So, you know, for for a listener, like, is there a rule of thumb or, you know, when would you suggest that they go see a naturopath or, or a family doctor? Like, what's what are some of the indicia that maybe it's time to seek some help?
2: I think ultimately it's up to the individual to decide for them. Yep. Is how I'm feeling impacting my ability to be in the world? And that could look like, am I starting to isolate from my friends and family? Is it more difficult for me to get my work done? Am I... No longer participating in the activities that I usually enjoy, whether it's you know going to card games or going to the gym or whatever your hobbies are. If you're noticing again your ability to be in the world is being impacted, I would strongly encourage at that point absolutely go see either a naturopathic doctor, or functional medicine doctor, or nurse practitioner to do some diagnostic testing. But even if it's not to that degree of and you're still able to go to work, maybe you're feeling a little bit more tired, a little bit less motivated, but you know you're still socializing, still able to get your work done spend time with your friends and family. Uh, it's never a bad idea to get some testing done and just making sure that things are optimal for you and that we're not on this potential slippery slope into uh, more depressed mood, less motivation, maybe bleeding from that winter blues to more of a sad presentation.
1: Okay, we have time for one last question, and that is: uh, Are you aware of any strategies or resources that people can use to sort of proactively cope with with uh, seasonal affective disorder?
2: I mean, you can always visit things like the Canadian Association for Mental Health gives a broad overview of thing. You know, what is sad, some approaches to that, including you know, counseling, lifestyle modifications, of course, medication, and kind of going back to earlier in our conversation. Uh, seeing a qualified medical practitioner, getting some testing done, and seeing where uh, improvements can be made on sort of the fundamentals or the foundations to good health. Again, making sure you're sleeping well, making sure you're exercising on a regular basis. If you're not consuming fish on a regular basis, uh, maybe considering some omega-3 supplementation from something like a fish oil or an algae oil. And in these winter months, having your vitamin D levels tested and, and supplementing um, as needed.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
2: Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
1: That was Dr. Colleen Hartwick, ND. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss fad diets on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer Store? Powered by The Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit ZoomerStore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy Program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today. Go today.
0: Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson.
1: Sally K. Norton, MPH, holds a nutrition degree from Cornell University and a master's degree in public health. Her path to becoming a leading expert on dietary oxalate includes a prior career working at major medical schools in medical education and public health research. Her personal healing experience inspired years of research that led to her book, Toxic Superfoods, How Oxalate Overload is Making You Sick and How to Get Better, which is available everywhere books are sold. Welcome, Sally. How are you?
4: I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me.
1: So this time of year, a lot of people are still trying to abide by New Year's resolutions. We're, we're kind of, you know, the, the ones that promise to go to the gym all the time are kind of petering out by, by February 1st. But those who are on diets probably are good for another couple of weeks. Uh, so I thought it'd be interesting to have you on, come on the show and talk about the downside of some of the current fad diets and give people some information they may need. What do you think about that?
4: Oh, it's such an important topic. People are f- trying hard and they're feeling frustrated.
1: So what are what are some examples of popular diets w- that you think have some potential health consequences?
4: Well, there's a lot of variations on a major theme of going plant-centric. Yep. And we are being told that the more plants you eat, the better. And that can lead to some major problems, especially with oxalate. There's the fast you drop thing, <laughs> don't ever eat anything, over-exercise, of course. And then there's all these subsets of diet ideas like paleo, and then the techniques of juicing, smoothies, going gluten-free, dairy-free, going with the collagen and chia pudding. The, these are all areas that <laughs> can just
1: blow up in your face. All right. Well, let's let's take them one at a time. Where do you want to start?
4: The plant-centric is really... I would say the environment of the moment. Okay. It's been coming on a couple hundred years, but it's really at a peak of popularity at the moment.
1: And what's what's your concern about a plant-based diet?
4: Well, if you think about plants just for a moment. We heard the the word hemlock or yeah. digitalis. Sure. <laughs> hemlock is how Socrates had to put himself to death, basically, right? That was his sentence, to die. Digitalis, you can drop dead from that. you berries off your plants in your yard. Rhubarb leaves, these are all deadly. These are toxins that plants make that can be absorbed through the skin. You eat them, they are easily get into your bloodstream. Plants have so many defense chemicals. How could we be thinking that any amounts of them are okay? Even the ones in the grocery store also retain defense chemicals. Go outside for a minute in your mind. What's out there that you're going to eat that's in the natural world?
1: Well, you could eat berries, for example, or mushrooms. But
4: not the ewe berries. Well, yeah. but <laughs> Most of the berries, think about it. Go out in the woods. What berries there would you dare eat?
1: Well, I don't know that I'd go into the wild and feel comfortable about harvesting any foods because I just don't have that knowledge. But I can tell you, I have my own garden and I think I'm OK to eat the berries that I grow there. I have managed to sort of corral some some wild black raspberries. They seem OK. I, I think there are foods that are safe. But why, I you know. I don't want to play a semantical game with you. Why, do you. why do you think that there's potential like poisons or chemicals that are bad for us in these fruits and vegetables? Are You're you not saying don't eat any vegetables, are you?
4: No, not at all. Not at all. But the the messaging is that more is better. And even with just Swiss chard or blackberries, there's enough oxalate in those foods to get yourself into trouble. And the sad part is that there's a delay in the effects. If it's an acute effect The delay is maybe only two hours, but you still may not connect it with a beautiful bowl of blackberries. Um, But sometimes the delay is decades of eating blackberries every day or every season. Luckily, with a garden, there's a limited time during the year. You don't get to walk out in your backyard every day and eat a cup or three cups of blackberries. But with today's technology of shipping with refrigeration and freezers, we can do that.
1: Okay. Well, why don't we talk about oxalates for a bit? What are they, and why are they bad for us?
4: Oxalates are a small compound that turns into salts. That's why we call it oxalate, plural, because it starts off as this little molecule called oxalic acid. Plants make a lot of oxalic acid and turn it into calcium oxalate crystals. And even in your blackberries and spinach and chard, you're eating a fair amount of the acid and the crystals. And they can be a problem for your health because, well... (laughs) It grabs minerals, so the oxalic acid grabs calcium. Well, when oxalic acid gets into your blood and starts grabbing calcium, hmm, that's messing with the calcium levels in your blood and causing the pacemaker to flutter and wonder what's going on. (laughs) The calcium inside a cell is so critical to cell function, so you start messing up your basic electrolyte function in and around cells. That's stressful. You also damage membranes around cells. Within 40 minutes of a spinach smoothie, your circulating immune cells, the white blood cells, are in distress and are damaged. And they're putting out more inflammatory chemicals and calling for help. And they're no longer able to help you fight infection.
1: Which are the foods that are rich in oxalates? Because I presume not every fruit and vegetable has a lot of oxalates.
4: Right, right. And it's a little odd because there's not a good rule of thumb. You have to scientifically get in there and measure these foods to figure out where it is, which gives it a little bit of a complexity. But of course, real life has complexity. So the foods, one rule of thumb is nuts and seeds. That's the baby of the plant. And they're very well defended and protected. And it's very useful for the plant to put a lot of calcium oxalate crystals in a seed because it creates a harder surface around the outside and helps protect it from um, being broken down or consumed in a way where it gets digested. They're designed to be indigestible. So they have lots of problem compounds that are hard on your digestive tract including a lot of oxalate. So things like almonds, cashews, and peanuts are bad. Certain um, beans are bad. The white beans that you make a Boston Baked Bean with, the black beans, they're they're pretty high in oxalate. Then you've got uh, sweet potatoes, white baker potatoes that you make fries and chips with, bran around the grains, because, of course, it's that outside of those seeds, grains are seeds. They're rich in oxalate. Uh, The greens, there's just three greens, the spinach, chard, and beet greens. And sorrel, which nobody eats, the other greens are fine, and um, so there's plenty of green, leafy things to eat. You just don't want to eat charred beet, greens, and spinach. They just happen to be cute, popular, dark, and so <laughs> we think they're the ones to pick. when you'd be better off with romaine. Um, what else? We got ooh, dark chocolate, unfortunately. <laughs> so you might be better off with milk chocolate or white chocolate because the oxalate is in that dark cocoa
1: fraction. Let me, let me ask you an, another question just to sort of go off topic for a bit. Is everybody sure. equally su- susceptible to the potential damage from oxalates or is, or do you have to have a pre-existing condition?
4: Well, pre-existing conditions will will elevate the toxicity effects in the body. So if your gut right. is a little bit distressed and inflamed yep. or if you have inflammation anywhere, then you can get a lot more moving from the food into your bloodstream. Or if you're on a very low calcium diet, like a dairy-free diet, then again, more than a third more will get into the bloodstream. So it's that absorption process where the chemical moves from the food into your bloodstream that's really important. So gut health is one of those risk factors. Also the strength of your kidneys for eliminating it from the bloodstream is very important. Uh, So yeah, there's a real variation on who starts getting symptoms sooner and how much you seem to be getting away with. It's very hard to really discern this, though, because in so many people, they have so much robust health, the body doesn't complain very much until things get late stage, which is true for cancer and heart disease and lots of diseases where you can be building up a disease and not have symptoms. So that makes it hard for us to judge who's tolerating it better than others. But if you don't feel well and you're trying to eat healthy and you add in more health foods to try to feel healthier, and it's not working, it's probably because you're having trouble with oxalates and some of the other anti-nutrients in the plants. And that's the important thing for people to recognize, that regardless of the mystery of who can tolerate a lot before they're dead, who can tolerate less before they die, is less important than being aware that if you don't feel good on health foods, it's not your fault.
1: So a lot of the foods that you mentioned, so I happen to have inflamed digestion. I actually had a perforated bowel last year, this time. And uh, so I, I have a lot of inflammation that I'm still dealing with. A year after, and it's interesting because a lot of the foods that you mentioned, seeds and nuts, are some of the foods that, if you have diverticulitis, they doctors suggest. You, you know, they used to suggest that you not have those foods because you know they can get stuck in pockets and get infected, et cetera, et cetera. But it's interesting because a lot of the foods you're describing are high fiber foods, which are highly recommended for for digestive health. So it's, it, it it does seem a little incongruous when I'm hearing the list of the various. Foods that you say are high in oxalates, they also seem to be high fiber foods. Is there a correlation?
4: Oh well, if you step back, we need to start questioning the faith that fiber is good for digestion. It's fundamentally abrasive and turns on inflammation in the gut because fiber will feed bacterial action and increase the populations of bacteria in the gut. And now we have this idea that more bacteria in the gut is better. But the immune system disagrees and tries to garden those weedy overgrowth of bacteria and has to put out anti-inflammatory inflammation reactions to the excess growth of bacteria. And I find, and, and it's true in true dietetics. Like I studied nutrition at Cornell, and what we learned at Cornell as, as dietary advisors, as future dietitians, is that you put a person with gut problems on a low fiber diet. It's called a low residue diet. That's the standard treatment for digestive problems back in the day.
1: Right. Interesting food for thought, for lack of a better pun. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
4: Oh, it's so great to be with you. Thank you. And I want you to heal that gut. Let me see if I can help you out.
1: Yeah, me as well. That was Sally K. Norton. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the connection between love and wellness on The Tonic attention men over 50 do you search for restrooms everywhere you go wake up several times at night just to go pee again are symptoms of a benign and large prostate taking over prostate perform helps reduce the urgency and frequency of pesky pit stops in as little as seven to ten days available exclusively through natural health food stores to ensure these products are right for you always follow label directions wellness. Empowering women through holistic health is more than just a mission. It's their passion. Leaning on the latest scientific research, they've crafted a range of all natural high-grade supplements to support women in their unique health journeys. Whether it's perimenopause, hormonal imbalances, sleep issues, or weight loss, each product purchase comes with a comprehensive program complete with educational materials, nutritional information, and strategies for long-term health and wellness. Made for women by women, and Wellness supplements are available online at Wellness.com com or at select health stores across Canada. Start your transformation with Aaron Wellness today and experience the change that they bring to lives. Visit aaronwellness.com that's A-E-R-Y-O-N wellness.com because your journey to wellness begins here.
0: Welcome back to The Tonic. Your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic magazine, Jamie Busson.
1: Katrina Faux is a board-certified holistic nutritionist who knows that when we look at health, we should be looking at the body as a whole. After overcoming her own cancer 100% naturally and driven by her core belief that the body can heal itself, Katrina went on to become board-certified in holistic nutrition and trained to read functional labs. As a As a faculty member at Restorative Wellness Solutions, Katrina teaches practitioners to interpret functional labs and design individual protocols. In her international bestseller, Nutritional Pilates, uh, Katrina offers a framework for whole body health that casts light on potential obstacles that can obstruct well-being while providing proven strategies to sidestep chronic disease. Welcome back to the show, Katrina. How are you?
5: Oh, I'm great. Thank you.
1: So, there's a certain holiday that's coming up very shortly, uh, Valentine's Day, and everybody talks about love, but you're here to talk about love and wellness. So, is there a connection between love and wellness?
5: Absolutely. We, as humans, have a physiological need to be loved and accepted and to have relationships. And this can actually impair and and hurt our health if we don't have it. So one thing that we know when I work with cancer clients is that, you know, there is prior to a diagnosis, uh, about a year prior, there's going to be some kind of trauma, usually something that's deeply hurt the person's heart, that is a contributing factor to their actual diagnosis. And so you can see really clearly, like, if people don't have ongoing, uh, love and relationships, whether it's family or if it's, um, you know, a spouse or something, it will definitely affect them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I had a health issue, uh, last spring where, you know, pretty close to death and, you know, the support that I received from my spouse, my wife and my family was absolutely important to my speedy recovery. Like of that, I have no doubt. So you, you think that there sometimes are health issues that it blocks the body from healing itself. What are those types of issues?
5: Oh, there's so many of them. And unfortunately today, a lot of people aren't talking about them because we focus on symptom management instead of getting to the root cause. But when we're talking about blocking factors, you know, you want to look at things like what the person's actually eating. Are they eating the nutrients that they need? And then, of course, Are they actually digesting it? Because if you're eating great food and you're not digesting properly, you're not actually probably absorbing the actual minerals and nutrients. And then there's a lot of other factors, um, mainly toxins. Um, There's so many different chemicals that people are, are completely unaware of that are in our air and soil and water supplies that we're being exposed to all the time. And probably one of the biggest is mold. And I see this huge in my practice as well as in my own personal experience that when you have toxic levels of mold, it's just going to block anything, whether it's weight loss or, you know, cancer, getting into remission, the whole spectrum.
1: I want to circle back to a comment you made about uh, the body not digesting properly. What do you mean by that?
5: Yeah. So when you eat your food and chew it up and you swallow it, it goes down to your stomach and Ideally, the way we're designed, we should have a stomach acid released that is going to get down to a pH of 1.5 to 3.5. That's really acidic. And what that does, not only does it kill any pathogens if you eat some bad sushi or something, but it's also going to allow you to make those minerals that are in your food bioavailable to be actually absorbed. So it's super offensive that if you, you know, eat some big block of cheese with lots of calcium, if you don't have the stomach acid at the right level, you're not getting it.
1: Okay. And with respect to mold, how would that impact your ability to recover? What do you mean by that?
5: Yeah. So when people have toxic levels of mold, the mold is going to kind of block all the systems of the body. It's just a really intense toxin. Meaning the mold spores that you breathe in, you know, they inhabit your, your lungs and your nasal cavities, and they will produce mycotoxins that then not only create symptoms, but I have a lot of clients that have toxic levels of mold that don't have any symptoms. But their symptoms come from the other areas of their body, so their hormones, um, you know, blood sugar dysregulation. They can't process toxins properly. There's just a huge load on the body dealing with the mycotoxins that it, it can't really address and run properly.
1: Is there a way to find out if you have levels of mold in your in your system through a blood test or is there another test that you would do?
5: Absolutely. So the, the test you want to start with is going to be a simple urine test first thing in the morning. And it's nice that it's something you can do in the privacy of your own house. And they should test quite a few different um, types of mold. Um, I usually use Great Plains or Vibrant. They have excellent mold
1: tests. Sorry, is this uh, an online service or something, or or, or like a, like w- up in Toronto? There's labs that we go to to have blood tests. Would they typically be able to do that, or is this a specific test you're referring to?
5: Yeah, you don't want to look for mold mycotoxins in the blood. That's not going to be the most effective way. You want to do a urine test. And so those are just two of the labs that practitioners use to run this. Um, just throw that out there in case people are um, looking to run it to know which one's the good labs. I've had some people bring some um, not great results. And I mean, not the results are not great, but the, the labs themselves are not running a full profile.
1: Got it. Well, now that we're talking about lab tests, what is a functional lab test and, and why is it important to understand them?
5: Oh, I love this question. So it's really important to understand that when you look at a lab test, they are like a blood work. They're looking at the ranges. They're determining that by who takes the lab test, who takes it. It's the sick people. And then they make an average with two standard deviations on either side, and that's the lab range. This has nothing to do with actual health, which is usually shocking to most people. It was to me and so the functional uh, interpretation some of these are actually the same actual lab tests like for example with blood but i'm going to be looking at different ranges where people are actually healthy and feeling good and that's where i want to get my clients to not just you're an average number cuz that's not very helpful
1: sorry are you talking about like a, are you talking about like a personal baseline or or a a non-ill baseline like a through...
5: non-ill baseline okay yeah good distinguishing. There's also, with functional work, um, there's also a lot of other tests that we look at besides just blood work. Um, We do a lot more blood work than just a CBC and a CMP, which is just the two standard things that they run, and it's usually less than $10. But we'll expand that out to a lot more markers, as well as looking at things like stool, urine, saliva, and other testing to see what is really going on with the
1: person. Okay. Um, all right. Let's assume, let's assume that the body has some toxins in it. Um, how can you help to detox and reduce, you know, the resultant inflammation? What can we do?
5: Excellent. The most important thing that you can do is to stop the inflow. And this is where, you know, people get distracted with the sexy aspects of what supplements do I take and detox protocols. And that's really important as well. But if you don't stop the inflow and figure out and do the detective work of how in the world am I getting exposed to this in the first place, it's, it's kind of a waste of time and money. So that's always where I start of, let's see, let's look at your water supply. Let's, you know, have a mold inspector come out. Like, make sure that the inflow stops because that's a low-hanging fruit.
1: Okay, so like when you're looking at a mold and in, in infestation, like, uh, you know, we can all see, you know, in the bathroom sometimes mold, you know, gets in the caulking around tiles. Are we talking about that? Or are we talking about something more expansive than that?
5: Yes, and so there's a lot of mold that you can't see. The mold spores are actually so small they can go through drywall. So we have this drywall up that's the perfect substrate to feed mold and then we put our pipes behind it and it only takes 24 to 48 hours for a very small leak to create mold so it's a really big deal and a lot of times it's going to hide in places you don't expect people aren't looking down in their crawl spaces in their attics and their hvac systems and i have to say a lot of people will dismiss this and be like oh i have a new house or oh i i live in someplace like phoenix that's dry and I actually have quite a few clients with mold issues because the HVAC system in places like Phoenix. So, you know, what you want to do is test, don't guess. And then some of us um, lucky individuals like myself just have really terrible detox, um, SNPs, genetics that, you know, even if we get exposed, there's other factors that we just aren't able to clear it quite as well as other people. So you can have people living in the same house that one has issues with the mold and the other doesn't and this is really common when maybe the wife has been having lots of babies for years and you know her body is doing lots of work the husband's not at home during the day and she's the one that falls ill because her body is under a lot of stress and unable to additionally address the mold that's going on
1: gotcha okay let's let's shift gears how do you know if you have a blood sugar problem because that's a source of inflammation too
5: Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. So with blood sugar, people are usually thinking about symptoms as like hypoglycemia, so the low blood sugar, you know, hangry, shaky, dizzy kind of stuff, and that's, that's one aspect of it. But probably the more problematic is when the blood sugar is high mm-hmm. and spiking high or chronically high, you know, that's where you're going on that spectrum towards chronic disease, you know, with insulin resistance and things like that. And the the thing that people don't know that I want everyone to know is that you don't feel bad in that state. You feel really good because you've got tons of fuel for your body running around. Um, So to look at that, you want to really look at a hemoglobin A1c on a blood test. Um, I also like to look at the insulin levels fasted. The glucose fasted, which is in the CMP is is nice, but a lot of times that's more a function of their adrenals and such. There's other factors that are going to influence it, and it's not necessarily going to give you the whole picture.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today to explain all that.
5: Absolutely. My pleasure.
1: That was Katrina Foe. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. they want everyone to share in the goodness they offer visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca
0: welcome back to the tonic your prescription for a healthier and happier life here's your host and publisher of tonic magazine jamie busson
1: Dr. Atusa Madavi is a distinguished holistic health expert, renowned speaker, and best-selling author featured in the Wall Street Journal and on Amazon. As a doctor of chiropractic, she holds certifications in integrative medicine, functional medicine, and Ayurvedic medicine. Her extensive qualifications also encompass being a Hatha Yoga Master Teacher and Ayurvedic Yoga Therapist graduating magna cum laude from a chiropractic doctorate program in 1994, Dr. Madavi secured a board specialty as a qualified medical examiner in 1996, followed by certifications in integrative and functional medicine. In 2012, she undertook a rigorous uh, 1,800-hour, six-month yogic sciences program in India, and in April of 2018, she completed her studies in Ayurvedic medicine. Combining these credentials with 28 years of hands-on clinical experience, she stands as a highly distinguished figure in the realm of alternative and holistic medicine. Welcome to the show. How are you?
3: Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Thank you.
1: So health solutions aren't really one-size-fits-all. Uh, what works for others may not work for you, right? That's the whole, the whole point of, of how you practice your practice?
3: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I actually mentioned that as one of the myths of conventional medicine, uh, that it is a one-size-fits-all, and I basically demystify the myth. And that's one of the myths that, you know, medicine should not be one-size-fits-all. It should be highly personalized and individualized uh, based on the patient's constitution, nutrigenomics, ancestral diet, um, and it, basically the particular condition in that particular individual.
1: Okay, so, so I know you describe healing as a dynamic process. What it, What is... What does that process mean when you're taking that sort of individualistic approach? What does that look like?
3: Yeah, when we say dynamic process, that means it's not an end in itself. It is a journey that requires patience, requires consistency, persistency of actions that are health-driven and wellness-driven, and you should not expect a quick fix. And you should have faith and patience in the healing ability of the body if you are giving it the tools that it, requ- is, is, uh, it requires for self-healing, self-maintenance, repair, etc. And so it is dynamic in a sense that um, you are on a, a journey, a process of healing, and from point zero to point, let's say, 100, let's say 100 is the best quality of life the best mindset, the best emotional, mental, physical health, spiritual health. And uh, if you're at point zero, point ten, it's going to feel really good, even though it's not going to be perfect. And there could be uh, points in this process that there may be healing crisis, but that doesn't mean that you're having a setback. That only means that so recognizing the dynamism of how the body heals itself uh, requires the understanding that there could be uh, certain days that you may not be at your best, but if you're doing everything that is required in that healing process, that that may just be your body detoxing. That may be that your body is adjusting physiologically and uh, something goes up, something goes down, to finally create that balance and echobliria.
1: So I I think you mentioned that you think the body has its own innate healing capabilities. What do you mean by that? Like, how does that manifest?
3: Yeah, so uh, we are basically born with this innate intelligence, right? Uh, When you're in the womb, you do not, your mother do not, that's carrying you, who's carrying you. She's not deciding, uh, Your growth process. She's not deciding your nervous system is going to develop first, your heart is going to be beating in the uh, basically third uh, week of the process and you know uh, what part, what organ system is going to develop, how it's going to develop, right? So how is that happening? Well, there has to be an intelligence within the human being that uh, decides Uh, What is this process looking like? So that intelligence um, is pumping your blood, is uh, keeping your heart at a rhythm. It's regulating your breath. Even if you yourself hold your nose and close your mouth and decide you're not going to breathe, that intelligence is going to make you breathe. And um, you don't decide the functions of your liver, Your kidney, everything is working in sync and it's doing its job without a minute uh, intervention uh, by you, right? You don't decide if your liver is going to work or not, it's going to do it. So there is that innate intelligence within the body that is regulating it, repairing it, healing it every day, every moment, every second. Every seven years, you are a new person by the means of every cell in your body has rejuvenated and renewed itself. That intelligence is there. You just have to recognize it. And that intelligence is very much capable of healing you. When you catch a cold and you catch a flu, it takes, it requires for every individual is different two, three, one week, you know, two, three days to one week to two weeks, whatever it is, depending on the strength of your immune system, but your immune system, if you take the blood and sample it and test it, you see how your white blood cells, your immune system are interacting. You see how they go down and up depending on what they're fighting. That intelligence is driving your body to heal.
1: I, I get that. But what about, what about if you have an inherited condition? Like, you know, it's not, it's not caused by extrinsic factors but like stress or inflammation. Mm-hmm. You, you have a genetic predisposition. I mean, we could both imagine what that would look like. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. But, but that's, isn't that internal to your, your body? And how does that come into play with the body's intelligence?
3: Yeah. So you may have heard about epigenetics. Mm-hmm. And epigenetics is the concept that you can turn on or turn off genes. Yep. So you may have a bad gene you may uh, have a, a lot of the good, good genes, and we all do. We all have the oncogene. The oncogene is the cancer gene, right? We all have it. And, so, you know, of course, by familial predispositions, by genetic predispositions, we all have our own unique uh, patterns and tendencies, right? Mm-hmm. But it is the environment, it is your lifestyle that determines whether or not you're going to turn off or turn on those genes. So that's an important, very important factor: uh, the way that you decide what you're going to eat, how your day is going to look like, what is your daily routine going to be, um, and your diet, etc. It um, can actually either encourage that bad gene to turn on or to stay turned off, and all of your good genes and all of your healing abilities to be the one that are driving your health and wellness and of course there are you could say that you know you could pose this difficult question what about young kids like very young like two years old three right that have leukemia or have other uh, hereditary conditions etc these are tough questions we don't have answers to everything but sometimes we could look at the lifestyle of the mother Sometimes we could look at the environment of the mother. We could look at uh, the levels of vaccinations in the mother. We could look at other environmental toxic, uh, toxicity that is in the life of the mother. And we also have the ancestral, uh, you know, lifestyles that also impact one's genome, right? And so once you get into the needy-greedy of it, now, if you want to take it further and take it into the, esoterics of the spirituality and the yogic sciences and Ayurveda and Chinese medicine and those Eastern philosophies and and medicines, they also talk about the spiritual predispositions, the karmic predispositions, the samskaras, uh, what you bring in from previous life, right? If you believe in incarnation, it's not a matter of belief, but if you look at the other theories of, like, let's say, they look at reincarnation. What are your samskaras? What are your karmic templates, your uh, ingrained tendencies that you bring in with that level of consciousness that's carried through to every life? What are you bringing with you those tendencies? And, you know, what are the lessons that are to be learned from those? These are difficult questions. These are obviously when we go to... Uh, the youth, the, you know, the toddlers, the two years olds, the kids that have certain diseases that we have no idea how they acquired them, then we could look at, like I said, environment, the mother's environment, the mother's lifestyle, the, ge- the genetic predispositions of the mother, the ancestral situation, the collective ancestral, spiritual karmic tendencies and samskaras and things of that nature.
1: So that's a lot of extrinsic factors that, that impact
0: illness, huh? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, but you have to do the best that you can do. In everything in life, you will do the best that you can do in this moment. And you surrender and accept what is, and you work towards what you want to create without getting overwhelmed, without getting stressed, by meditating on what it is that you want
1: to create. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
3: My pleasure.
1: Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Colleen Hartwick, ND, Sally K. Norton, Katrina Foe, and Atusa Madavi. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For more timely, up-to-date, and accurate health and wellness information, subscribe to The Tonic Newsletter. Now distributed once a week, The Tonic Newsletter, with content curated personally by me, will keep you in the loop. There's contests, prizes, insider scoops, and so much more. Visit www.thetonic.ca and sign up today. If you're interested in providing feedback for this show or suggesting topics for the show generally, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.